Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Well, thank you for being here with us today. And uh, we're getting ready to launch a brand new series of messages this morning entitled Jesus Loves Me. I've been so excited about this series of messages because it is so gospel-centric. It is so central to the work and the person of Jesus Christ and exactly how God's love has been poured out for us. And believe you me, God's love has been poured out for us abundantly and in marvelous and miraculous ways. So as we approach Resurrection Sunday, our thoughts and our attention will be turned to the cross and the tomb and finally the resurrection. But I thought it would be good during these weeks of focus to look at the life of Jesus and the many ways that that great love has been expressed to us. And I just, I hope that you are inviting friends and family for this awesome series of messages because they are going to be both challenging and inspiring concerning our walk with the Lord. So, as we get into our message today, we're going to be discussing the fact that one of the ways that Jesus has loved us is that he left heaven for us. Jesus loves me so much that he left heaven for me. Jesus loves you so much that he left heaven for you. We could exhaust that this morning, uh, but we're we're not going to go through all the steps that we could go through with that. But you may be thinking in your mind right now, so Jesus left heaven for me. Yeah, big deal. So what? Well, I want to I share with you as we fully consider the sacrifice of Jesus and exactly what he went through in taking that step for us and how significant that is to us to be able to say that Jesus loves us so much that he left heaven for us. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal, church, that, that he was willing to do that for us. First of all, let me tell you what heaven is as we learn it in Scripture. Heaven is a place of unparalleled beauty. Heaven is a place of unparalleled beauty. Now, we we go all over this world. Uh, Some of you have been many places, and you've seen a lot of things, and you have stood and and with uh, uh, partaken of some of the most breathtaking vistas that this world has to offer. And you've seen the beauty and you've seen the splendor of God's creation here on earth, which testifies of him, of his handiwork, of his goodness we see. But most of our understanding about heaven comes from the book of Revelation, where John, the apostle John, was permitted to see the splendors of heaven. And in Revelation, John describes for us in detail the rarity of heaven's splendor. He talks about a place that has streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. A place, understand this, look, I, I like the sunshine. How many of you like the sunshine? It, it is awesome. You know, I got up this morning. When I got up this morning, it was raining again. But I was so pleased by the time I had 
gotten myself ready and, and got out and started my commute here to the church that somewhere along the way I saw the sun break out. And I was, Lord, thank you for the sunshine. It just, I, it was a blessing to me. But John describes heaven as a place that has no need of the sun nor the moon because the very presence of God illuminates that city. There, there are no clouded days there. There never is anything that will block out the radiance of the presence of God that lights that city. No, no storm clouds, no rain. It's a place that has no need of a temple because God's glory fills it. You see, John describes something that, that stretches the boundaries of our imaginations as we try to conceive the fullness of what he's saying. And with all of this description, all of this word picture that John paints for us here, if you're taking notes, that's Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. You can read about that. As a matter of fact, I think the reference is in your notes. With all of that description, I believe that in some ways John's explanation falls short as he attempts to share about the glory and the splendor of heaven. You say, why do you think that falls short? I mean, isn't the word of the Lord infallible? Yes, it is. But it was also written through mortal man, and the best that he could do was make similitudes and comparisons of heavenly things to earthly concepts. He had to tell us as best he could what heaven looks like using earthly illustrations. At church today, I don't believe there's anything on this earth that is going to be comparable with what we see when we get to heaven. I don't believe that, that its rarity and its splendor can be found here on earth. So I believe John did the best he could, and he explained that to us, but he offers similitudes likening the attributes of heaven to earthly elements, and I believe that falls short. Number two, heaven is a place void of suffering and pain. Yes, praise the Lord. No, no more tears. No more heartaches. No no more dying. Never again will we stand on the shores of heaven and see our loved ones destroyed by old age and disease. Never again will we know the anguish of letting go. There will never be a time when we stand by the grave of a loved one in heaven to say goodbye. It won't happen. It's not going to be there. Death does not reside there. Sickness, disease, heartache, trouble, despair, calamity, none of that. No wars, no more injustice, no more inequalities. Hardships will be a thing of the past. Struggles are going to be but a bygone memory. As the songwriter penned, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day it will be. Heaven is also a place of restoration. Heaven is a place of restoration. When we get to heaven, nobody's going to be feeble. Nobody's going to be aching. 
Nobody's going to be hurting. You say, well, pastor, are we going to be restored to a certain? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I know this. The word says we know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen? We're going to have a glorified body, free of the aches and the pains and the hardships and the troubles, no more disease. None of that's going to be present there. How do you like it so far? You know, we all want to go to heaven. It's the hope of every man. I mean, you know, we, we, we want our, all of our departed loved ones to be in heaven. It doesn't matter what kind of life they live. For the most part, people will say, well, you know, they were suffering and they were this, but bless their hearts, they're in a better place now. Because we want so desperately for them to be at the place that we know through Scripture as heaven. We, we want them to be there. And I'm not asking you this morning your theological stance on the issue. I'm not, I'm not asking today whether or not you believe, and I'm not here to debate that. I'm simply stating that conceptually speaking, there's not a person alive who doesn't thrill at the prospect that heaven could be theirs to gain. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody would love to believe that there's a place like John describes to us here as heaven. Even the hardest atheist would agree that the thought of a place like heaven would be their desired fate. You may, you may never get those people to agree to its existence, but they would love the idea. Ask anybody, do you believe in heaven? And if the answer is yes, you then ask them and say, ask them if they're going to go there when they die, and you'll probably get one of three answers. You'll get a yes. You'll get, I hope so. Or you'll get, I don't know. But nobody's going to say, when I contrast heaven and hell, heaven doesn't sound like the place for me. No, no thanks. I'm good. I like suffering. I like sorrow. I like heartache and despair. No, nobody's going to say that. Now, jokingly, you'll hear some people say, and I've heard it before myself, you know, what do you think about eternity and where are you going to go and where are you going to spend forever? And sometimes people will jokingly say, well, I believe that all of my friends have died and they're in hell, so I'll just go to hell because we'll all get there and have one big party. And I want to tell you today, church, there are no parties to be had in hell. That is nothing to be desired. As much as the Bible describes heaven as a place of beauty and splendor, free from pain and anguish, it also contrasts hell as a place of unparalleled suffering and anguish, and there will be no parties to be had there. There's nothing but suffering and darkness, despair, anguish, and the thought of what could have been to run through the minds of those that have heard and rejected the gospel over and over and over for eternity. Heaven, however, is a place that if we ever arrive, we'll never want to leave. As much as we love our families, 
And as uncertain as it seems to our natural mind and man to leave this world and to step into the next, if we could but have a glimpse of heaven, we'd find that it was a place that we would never, ever, ever want to leave. You ever been on one of those vacations? I mean one of those times when you remembered to pack everything. You got everybody loaded in the car without argument. Everything fit. Traffic was light. And you made your trek to your desired destination and you spent your time there and it was absolutely fabulous. I mean, this is not a National Lampoon's vacation that I'm describing to you here. I mean, everything goes right. And you get down to those last couple of days, those final closing hours, and as you begin, as it begins to set in on you and it begins to dawn on you that it's almost over, it's almost time to return to reality and go back to life as usual, what do you always do? You begin looking at those family members and you begin pining already and you begin missing the place that you're already at and you haven't even left and you say, look, I don't ever want to go back. Can't we just, can't we just stay here forever? Can't we just live here by the ocean? Can't we just sit here on this porch and overlook the mountain vistas forever? I mean, do we really have to go back? And if you and I were in heaven and we were standing face to face with Jesus and we're celebrating that we'd arrived in heaven and all of a sudden the celebration stops and Jesus just grabs you and says, hey, I need you to go back. What? I need you to go back. If, if that were to happen then at that point, Jesus is going to need to drop some heavy stuff on us to make us be able to say, well, okay, if that's what needs to be, then I'll go. Because we're not going to want to leave. We're not going to want to leave. I have known people in my lifetime that, that their hearts stopped beating for a moment and they were able to be resuscitated and they came back. And when they came back, they had lost all their will to live. Because they had seen heaven, they knew what was waiting for them, and they were ready to go. Nothing else of this world mattered, nothing else compared anymore. They were ready to go. We're going to be about as interested in going back or coming back here as we, we are getting out from under the warm covers of our bed in the middle of the night and going to check the mailbox and see if there's a bill. As a matter of fact, the more I think about it, the more I think I can't think of any reason why someone would be willing to leave heaven. But Jesus left heaven. Jesus, that we celebrate as a baby born in Bethlehem, that we read about doing all the great miracles that we see teaching the multitudes, he didn't come into the world in the usual way. He didn't come into this world in a natural way. It was supernatural. His origin was not natural. In fact, he has no origin. 
You know, you and I in the natural, you know how this process works. Mom and dad hopefully planned, and the outcome, the ensuing result of that was us. The origin was that we come from our mothers and our fathers. Jesus came from his father. And his mother was chosen. And his father was in heaven. And Jesus, we learn in scripture, had always been with his father in heaven. In the beginning was the word, John says of Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the begin he was with God in the beginning. In the beginning when? When the earth was formless and void. Before there was ever a living creature on this earth, Jesus, God's Son, indwelt heaven with him. He knew heaven firsthand. He knew its peace and painlessness, its beauty and its splendor. But he left it for you and I. Do you see the gravity? Do you see the weight? That Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come and take on the form of a mortal man. Heaven, you see, was a place created for God not to inhabit alone. And humans were created not to live apart from God. But sin came into this world. And sin separated us from a holy God. We couldn't get to God. There was no way in the original design of of mankind that we read of in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. God created the man and the woman. And God would come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day and share fellowship with him. Until one fateful day when Adam sinned and his sin separated him from the presence of God and the shame of sin separated Adam from God just as the same separates you and I from God and had separated you and I from God and had fixed a gulf between us that we couldn't go to where he was. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is careful to explain How that Adam's sin, Adam's disobedience opened the door for sin for all humanity. When Adam fell, he opened the door to the curse of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When I stand in this pulpit to declare to you the word of the Lord, I don't stand here on any premise that I'm any better than anybody else. I may have a different calling. I may have a different vocation. But I am a sinner saved by the grace of Almighty God. And the word says in Romans 6, 23, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you read that, you understand that death in the biblical sense is not just simply the death of this physical body, but when the Word speaks of death in that sense, it's actually speaking of an eternal separation from the presence of God. It's a spiritual death. Understand this with me, that we say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we preach eternal life. And that is the message of the gospel is eternal life. And some people confuse that with maybe a state that when this physical body dies, if we're not saved, if we're not in Christ Jesus, then simply we move into a state of dormancy. But inasmuch as Jesus offers eternal life, not having Jesus when we die will not usher us into a place of eternal life, but it will usher us into a state of perpetual dying. It'll be spiritually dying, but never being dead and wanting so badly to die. But we can't. And over and over and over again, we relive every time that we heard somebody say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Our memories will become mockers of us as we suffer throughout eternity. You will exist somewhere forever. There are any numbers of principles that we could cover or address at this point. But the gospel's not a complicated thing. And I want to make it very simple. Jesus came to break the curse of sin. Jesus came to break the curse of sin. Sin was a prison from which we could not break free. There was no way out. There was no hope. We were destined for a life and eternity apart from God. But Jesus came. Jesus left heaven for me. And understand, when he left heaven for me, he didn't come simply for a sightseeing tour. Jesus wasn't in heaven one day and said, Wow, you know what? I've never seen Italy. I've never seen the splendor of the mountains. I've never been to Portugal or Spain or Hawaii. I think I'll go down and check it out. No, 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 no. Jesus came here to suffer, to acquaint himself with the sorrows, with the temptation, with the suffering that we go through. Philippians 2, Paul writes this to the church at Philippi and says, let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking on the form of a bondservant. Jesus came in the form of a servant. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Note the extremity that is placed here, the emphasis. 
He didn't just come to die of old age, but he came to give himself a sacrifice for you and I. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You see, Jesus came and he suffered and he died. He bore our shame on the cross. He didn't come to earth for a pleasurable experience, but he came to bear our transgressions. You remember when Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus came to take that on himself and bear it to the cross so that we didn't have to pay sin's wages. The prophet Isaiah wrote and said, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And he has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. But surely... Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement for my peace was upon him, and by his stripes I am healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Dear God, help us to never be beholding of Calvary's hill and see the three crosses and think for one second that the one in the middle belonged to Jesus. Because the one in the middle did not belong to Jesus. The one in the middle belonged to me. And the one in the middle belonged to you. But God in his great mercy, when the fullness of time had come, sent his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us. Come on, somebody. The wages of sin he paid on our behalf. His blood has broken every chain so that we don't have to live in fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to be held captive by the chains of addiction. We no longer have to be bound in our guilt and despair. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. He not only came to break the curse of sin, but he came to redeem the lost. You see, it wasn't just for the sake of breaking sin's curse that Jesus died. It was to redeem us. Now I want you to understand this, God hates sin. God loves the sinner, God hates the sin. Don't, don't mistake that for one second. But understand this, it doesn't say in the word that God so hated sins that he sent his son. But it says that God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. And you see, our goodness cannot pardon us from the curse of sin. Our very best that we can offer would not be good enough to earn heaven for us. No amount of good deeds, no amount of kindness extended, no amount of service. And likewise, I want to say to you that while no amount of our own goodness will save you, no amount of our personal badness will keep you from God's grace. You can't be good enough to earn salvation, and you can't be bad enough to have it withheld from you. You see, sin was trampled at the cross. Death was defeated. But what's also important is that you and I have the opportunity for redemption. And redemption is basically the turning of situations. You see, what happened on Calvary was not only was the penalty and the curse of sin broken over my life, but the wrongs were righted. He reframed me. He renamed me. Isaiah again writes of the Messiah and says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of prison doors to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to, con to comfort all who mourn and to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them, listen to this, this is redemption to give them beauty for ashes oh it was a mess before Jesus found me but he didn't just break sin's curse over my life he gave me a new name he gave me beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Through me, through you, a slave to sin, he might be glorified absolutely. That's the essence of redemption. That God has taken bad things and transform them and change them into new things, good things. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. See, he didn't just come to forgive you from your sins and leave you with the same wretched life. But he came to open the prison doors. And that means that not only have you been forgiven from the past sins, but through Christ Jesus you've been freed to no longer have to live bound by those sins. To give beauty for ashes means that the brokenness of your yesterday can be healed by trusting Christ Jesus with your tomorrow. The oil of joy for mourning means that things that have caused you pain and anguish can be ex exchanged for the joy of the Lord that is full of glory and indescribable. 
The third thing is Jesus came to break the curse of sin. Jesus came to redeem the lost. And Jesus came to assure us of heaven. See, he didn't, as wonderful as it is, as beautiful as we've described it, Jesus didn't want to be in heaven without you. He didn't want to be there without you. And you may be saying, Pastor, I love what you said in the opening, and I, I would so love and desire to go to heaven when I die or when this life is over, but I don't know if I could ever make it in. Well, I can tell you there's only one way. I don't mind telling you today, while the rest of the world says there's many roads, I don't mind proclaiming to you today the exclusivity of the gospel. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I don't mind to tell you today that in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostle said, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Jesus left heaven for you because he doesn't want to be there without you. For all eternity, Jesus wants you to be with him. As a matter of fact, in John 14, in verse, verses, the first few verses there of John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his impending departure from this world. And he says to them, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And you may miss heaven. eternity may find you in a different place but it won't be before you swim a river of the blood of Jesus Christ and you trod underfoot his grace and his goodness and you reject him time and time again because he has loved you with an everlasting love. And when the glory and the splendor of heaven was all that he had ever known, he took on the robe of human flesh and suffering. The very Son of God made himself, the word says, of no reputation. There was no form or comeliness that when we see him, we would be desirous of him. But he made himself obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. Jesus loves you so much that he left heaven 
We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.